Revel and featured Felicity Montague and Jasper Jacob. The show was produced by Paul Mayhew Archer. Next time in the Million Pound Radio Show, suspicious questions about poisonous plants and bumping off the neighbours. Gardener's question time will never be the same again. Now don't go away, our exciting brand new series set in London Below continues next here on 4 Extra. Nick's about to tell you all about it. While he's doing that, I shall sort out some classic comedy for you and with a bit of luck come up with a £50 cure from the goons at seven. Enter the seventh dimension. BBC Radio 4 Extra. Nick Briggs here, oh yes. Coming up in a moment is the third instalment of Neil Gaiman's dark, foreboding Neverwhere. The man who dramatised it, Dirk Maggs, is here with me to give us a few pointers. Following that, we scramble further up the great banyan tree in Brian Aldiss's thought-provoking fantasy of the future junglification of planet Earth. Hothouse. What do you mean junglification isn't a real word? So now, Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere is almost upon us. Dirk Maggs, can you tell us the story so far? I can try. Uh, Richard Mayhew, young Scotsman, came down to London, helped a girl in distress, discovered she came from a world called London Below that none of us know of. Deep under the streets of London, magic, history and myth all intertwined with very colourful characters. He's trying to find his way back to his old life, and this involves trying to find a thing called the Angelus, which is some kind of a picture of an angel. Mm-hmm. And he and the Lady Dor, who is the uh, young person he rescued, have arrived at the British Museum, where there is a huge reception, and they've been, they have a scroll which tells them that the angel they're looking for is in the particular room in which the reception is being held. But to their extreme horror, the reception is all about angels and there are angels all over the room. And they've got to figure out which one is this strange thing called the Angelus, which is a door to the angel Islington, who is Benedict Cumberbatch, but don't tell anybody. The Angelus has got to be here somewhere. All we have to do is find it. A picture of an angel. Somewhere in hundreds of pictures of angels. Oh, no, that's not necessarily our greatest problem. Well, what is? I've just seen Jessica. Jessica? Jessica? Jessica was with me the night that I picked you up off the street. Oh, the one who told you to leave me there? Yeah. She looks a bit stressed. And when she gets stressed, she makes Krupp and Vandemar look like Jedward. <laughs> Here, you don't think they followed us, do you? I don't think so. Krupp and Vandemar prefer to murder and maim in dark, cold places. Good. Oh, Jessica, of course, this is the exhibition she was organising for Arnold Stockton. Richard, if you want your old life back, we need to get in that exhibition and find the Angelus so we can speak to the Angel Islington. Shouldn't we actually find the traitor first? I mean, how did Krupp and Vandemar even know where we'd been? The Angel Islington will know. Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman Episode 3 The Angel Islington Clarence! 
Jessica. How are we doing? Uh, according to the list, nearly there. Nearly there isn't what I'm asking for, Clarence. Many a horse has fallen at the final hurdle. Many an overconfident general has seen certain victory turn to defeat in the closing minutes of the battle. Arnold Stockton wanted this exhibition to have a fabulous launch. We're fine for champagne, yes? Canapes, volavants, nibbles. Uh, nothing to worry about. I do worry, Clarence. I've put in a lot of work cataloguing the collection, putting together the ultimate A-list, hiring the Great Hall at the British Museum, and personally supervising the restoration of the Prime exhibit. It looks amazing. You've done a wonderful job. You'll make some lucky man a fantastic wife. If I don't seduce him first. It's just as well I don't have a boyfriend, Clarence. There'd be no time for one, even if I did. Oh, Look at that! What, 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 what? The Angelus? Food! Mountains of it! I'm going in. Whoa! Shh. Wait a minute. The security guards will throw you out. Richard, people in your world don't notice people from London below exist. I just don't want Jessica to see me in this state. Well, unless you do something really stupid, like talk to her, she probably won't even notice you. Aren't you hungry? Come on! Look, the kids were cute, but the thing is, Sir Bob, as good as Live Aid was, there was a whole marketing angle I feel it missed. Yeah, well, marketing wasn't the primary objective. <laughs> Perhaps not for you. Oh, do excuse me. I'm expecting Arnold Stockton at any minute. Mm. Come on, Richard, stuff yourself. Here, chicken leg. Melon slice, mushroom volivant. No, I'm, f I'm fine, really. Uh, this is plenty. A sandwich? Yeah, I'm not hungry. Why? Have you seen it? The Angelus? Well, everywhere I look, you can't move for blooming angels. Well, it ought to stick out, surely, be memorable. I mean, how hard can it be? Let's work our way around the hall. Right. Oh, I'm just going to have another one of those. You're sick. You had really low blood sugar, didn't you? Jessica, Arnold Stockton will be here in two minutes. Good. Um... Who are those people? Them? Well, he's the new editor of Vogue. No, not them. Them, there. Journalists? He do look somewhat passe. I know him. Do you see anything? It's like playing Spot the Pigeon in Trafalgar Square. What about that one? Well, that's just a Holman Hunt, I think. There's nothing that feels like the Angelus. The scroll said it's unique. And let's split up. Okay, do Excuse me. Hey. Oh, hello, Jessica. How are you? Hello. <laughs> you won't believe this, but my assistant failed to make a note of your newspaper, Mr... Mm, newspaper? Oh, did I say newspaper? Uh, magazine? Uh, um, television station? <laughs> you... You are with the media. You're looking very fine, Jessica. <laughs> you have the advantage of me. I beg your pardon. You're Jessica Bartram. You're a marketing executive at Stockton's. You're 26. Your birthday is April the 23rd. And in the throes of extreme passion, albeit not very often, you have a tendency to hum the monkey's song, I'm a believer. Is this some kind of joke? Oh, and by the way, we've been engaged for the last 18 months. I rather think I'd know if I'd been engaged to someone for 18 months, Mr... Um... Mayhew. Richard Mayhew. You dumped me. And I don't exist anymore. But, but why... Jessica! Jessica! He's here. Oh, um, excuse me, Mr... Uh... Oh, no, you toddle off. Man, I saw her face, now I'm a believer. He's on his way. Good, good. Did you explain about letting them in? No problem. So, who are you chatting up over there? 
Who? Your mystery man. Oh, uh, I don't know. Maybe you ought to call security. Okay. Which way? Which way do I go? Oh, Mr. Stockton, there you are. Ah, Bartram. Who's that? Uh, Arnold Stockton. How did he get so fat? Does he eat people? <laughs> you wanted talk. Although, in a manner of speaking, you're right. Compared to Arnold Stockton, Rupert Murdoch is Mahatma Gandhi. Stockton's the major shareholder in, well, pretty much everything. Satellites, newspapers, record companies, TV stations, the lot. Excuse me. <laughs> Hello. Ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Honoured guests. I'd like to welcome all of you to the British Museum to the Stockton-sponsored exhibition Angels Over England and to the man behind it all, our chief executive and chairman of the board, Mr Arnold Stockton. <laughs> right. <laughs> it won't take long. Yes. When I was a small boy, I used to come to the British Museum on Saturdays because we didn't have much money and it was... Uh, <laughs> I'd come up the big steps to the museum and I'd come down to this room round the back and look up at an angel. It was like it, it knew what I was thinking. Door, we haven't seen anything that looks like the angelus. The only thing that's left is at the top of those stairs covered in a massive dust sheet. Behind the fat man? Yeah. But maybe that means it'll inspire some other little penniless beggar to start his own communications empire. And so... It gives me great pleasure to reveal these great doors upon which is the carving I have had restored, cleaned, and regilded. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm proud to unveil the centerpiece of Angels Over England. <laughs> the Angelus! That's it! Here's a doorway. Excuse me, sir. Mind me seeing your invitation? Just a moment, sir. Uh, sorry, wrong on the door. Run! Stop! Stop, poster! We have to get through those doors. What if there's nothing behind it but a blank wall? I don't know. Push! So, uh, what just happened, Bartram? I'm not quite sure, sir. You pulled the cord, the curtain came down, everyone applauded, and... Well, here we are. <laughs> uh, well, that's, that, that's good then. Yes, it's, it's going rather well, isn't it? <laughs> Is this a room in the British Museum? Is it a room at all? The pillars go on for miles. Shh, hey, hey, hey. You see that? Another one just went on. And another. Something switching on all the lights. Look, look, look. One by one, see? They're getting closer. Candles, they're candles. Hundreds of them. Door. What is this? If the Angelus worked, we're at the centre of London underneath. At the heart of the Great Labyrinth, in the citadel of the Angel Islington. Door. The candles. The ones being lit one by one. Who's that lighting them? An angel. <laughs> Just pinch me. I didn't mean... It's an angel. There's no such thing. The Lady Door. Yes. 
Yes. It is an honor finally to meet you and your companion. I am the Angel Islington. Richard Mayhew, you two are welcome here in my halls, despite your doubt. Please, be not afeard, and follow me. Hello, boys. Mr. Vandermar, we have a visitor. Indeed we do, Mr. Crook, the Marquis de Carabas, fresh from escorting the Lady Door out of arm's way. Would we do her harm, Mr. Vandermar? Unhesitatingly, Mr. Crook. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it high time I came down here to talk to you in person. Is there somewhere to sit in your delightful courtyard? When they closed this hospital down, did they smash all the chairs to pieces? Sit anywhere you like, Marquis. Well, I would. It's just so hard to choose between the half-eaten kitten and the heap of razor blades. And then... Aren't you going to ask me why I'm here? Do you drink wine, Richard? Uh, uh, I, I, whatever you're having yourself. And Lady Dawn? I... I had a little wine once. My father, he... at dinner would let us taste it. Please. Smells good. Mm. This wine is the last bottle of its kind. I was given a dozen bottles by one of your ancestors. Here, my lady door. Thank you. It was a welcome gift. This was, oh, 30, 40 thousand years ago. Quite a while ago, at any rate. Here, Richard. Thank you. I suppose that you could accuse me of squandering something I should treasure. But I receive guests so rarely. The way here is hard. We came through the Angelus. Yes, you travelled here using the Angelus. But that way only works once for each traveller. Cheers. Drink it carefully. It is most potent. A toast to former glory. Former, former glories. glories. Oh. This is amazing. <clears throat> it really is. It... Mm. I thought old wines turned to vinegar when they were exposed to air. It is all a matter of the type of grape and the place it was grown. This kind of grape, alas, perished when the vineyard vanished beneath the waves. I've never tasted anything like it. And you never will again. There is no more wine from Atlantis. <laughs> so there really was an Atlantis? Yes. <laughs> wow. And you're an angel? Yes. You've actually met God and everything? I claim nothing, Richard, but I am an angel. Do you need proof? No, no, no. no. Temple Lurch! <laughs> Confined as I am in here, it is pleasing to stretch the wings from time to time. Wow. You honor us. No. Lord Portico's daughter honors me by coming here. Your father was a good man, 
door and a friend to me. I was deeply saddened by his death. He said in his journal, he said I should come to you. He said I could trust you. I only hope that I can be worthy of that trust. London below is the second city that I have cared for. The first sank beneath the waves, and there was nothing I could do to prevent it. I know what pain is, and loss. You have my sympathies. What would you like to know? My family. They were killed by Krupp and Vandemar, but who ordered it? I want... I want to know why. Yes. Many secrets find their way down to me. Many rumors and half-truths and echoes. And you? What do you want, Richard Mayhew? Uh, I don't know. I want my life back. I just don't feel that I belong here. I did what I thought was a good deed, you know, and I feel that I'm being punished for it. There is nothing unusual about that feeling. It was a good deed. Richard, no. Anybody would have done the same. Listen, look at me. All right. You saved my life. I'll never forget that. I adore. Thank you. But I just don't belong here. I've got a life I worked hard to build up there. Thought there was a way to get it back, and now I, I don't. I don't think that can happen. It can happen. Ah. Do you doubt me, Richard Mayhew? Uh, um, no, no. I'm, I'm really sorry about that, no. Look, 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 look. To be honest, most of the experiences I've had in the last few days have been what I would believe to be impossible. But I realise that the simplest and most likely explanations for what I'm seeing are the ones given to me. Getting your life back will not be easy. But your future is as much in your hands as the Lady Dawes is in hers. And you and your companions will face some very real difficulties, both in the task and in the return. But there is a key to all our problems. A key? Literally? The Blackfriars are its custodians. Find it. Bring it to me. And, and you, you can use it to find out who killed my family and send Richard home. Uh, if that's what you want, Richard. Of course. Listen, it will not be easy. The way back here is long and hard and dangerous. Here is a token to help protect you. I know this little figurine. There was one in my father's office. The Marquis took it. Never see that again, then. What is it? A little bear? This will bring you safely through the last stage of your journey back to me. The rest is up to you. But do please finish your wine. <laughs> I think maybe nope. you've had enough. <laughs> it's good, eh? Don't mind if I do, your angel chap. Where do you want us to go, by the way? Just the big black doors again, or...? No, you will find yourselves back in the museum in a wing beat. I don't understand. Good luck! <laughs> Get to the point, Marquis. What... Do you want? Well, what does anybody want? Dead things. Extra teeth. I thought perhaps that we could make a deal. 
Monsieur Marquis. I think I can confidently state with no risk of contradiction from any parties here present that you've taken leave of whatever senses you are reputed to have had. You are, I understand, Mr. Croup, a collector of Tang Dynasty figurines? How did you know that? Well, people tell me things. I'm approachable. Even if I were? If you were, you might be interested in this. Even if I were, I... Oh. What is it, Mr. Croup? I want it. Until earlier this evening... Mr. Vandermark, huh? this was sitting in a glass case in the vaults of one of London's leading huh? merchant banks. Oh. It is a piece of glazed pottery that was shaped and painted and fired while Europe was in the dark ages. Give it! No, 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 no. Ah, 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 ah. It's not as simple as that. No. What's to stop us taking it and leaving bits of you all over the underside? Mm. We've never dismembered a marquee before. Have in York, 14th century, in the rain. That wasn't the marquee, that was the Earl of Exeter. And Marquis of Westmoreland. Oh. What's to stop us hacking you into as many pieces as we hacked the Marquis of Westmoreland? This hammer smashed down on this priceless Chinese figurine. Oh. Now, please... No more silly threats. Is that for sale? Oh, we don't go in much for buying and selling here in the underside, oh. Mr. Croup. Barter and exchange. Barter and exchange. That's what we look for. But yes, indeed, this desirable little piece is certainly up for grabs. Name your price. First, three answers to three questions. Each way, we get three answers too. Fair enough. Secondly... I get safe conduct out of here, and you agree to give me at least an hour's head start. Agreed. Ask your first question. First question. Who are you working for? Oh, <laughs> that's an easy one. We are working for our employer, who wishes to remain nameless. Why did you kill Dor's family? Orders from our employer. Why didn't you kill Dor when you had the chance? We've got to keep her alive. She's the only one that can open a door. Oh, that's it. Tell him everything, why don't you? I wanted a turn. Right. So, you've got three answers for all the good that it will do you. My first question, why are you protecting her? Her father saved my life. I never paid off my debt to him. I prefer debts to be in my favour. I've got a question. As have I, Mr. Vandermar. Thank you. The upwelder, Richard Mayhew. Why is he travelling with her? Why does she permit it? Sentimentality on her part. Uh, now me. Go ahead. <clears throat> right. What number am I thinking of? Huh? What? What number am I thinking of? It's between one... And a lot. Look at me. Seven. Yeah, that's right. Oh. Where, where is the... Uh, 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 I think now we're getting greedy. What? Three questions asked. And answered. An hour's head start, remember? Of course. Right, well, here's your gift. Farewell, gentlemen. But not too well. Mr. Vandermar, gaze upon this. This was created by Kai Long, finest of potters. There is not a twin to it in existence. Examine the colour of the glaze, the sense of proportion, the life. It adds a little wonder and beauty to the world. Will you enjoy later, Mr. Crew? No, no, I'll eat it now. 
tasty. Mm. Exquisite. How long have you said we give him? An hour. How long has it been? 30 seconds, long enough. Right. Hey, 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 door, door, door. Do you think the angel's going to get me back my life? Well, I've never heard of such a thing, but I don't think he would have lied to us. He's an angel. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. You're right. Come on. Okay. Let's go find your bodyguard. I need to get some fresh air. But underfoot, Park Lane overhead, Marble Arts to the north. 17 minutes gone, 43 minutes before they chase me. As if they keep their word. Yeah. <laughs> Gentlemen, Mr. Croup, Mr. Vandermar, you are very, very good at your job. <laughs> you find us funny, Monsieur Marquis, do you not? A source of amusement, is it not so? With our pretty clothes and our convoluted circumlocutions. Uh, I haven't got a second thing. And our little silliness of manner and behaviour. And perhaps we are funny. But you must never imagine that just because something is funny, Monsieur Marquis, it is not dangerous. <laughs> Circumlocution, Mr. Vandermar, is a way of speaking around something, a digression, verbosity. Ah. I did wonder, ah. Mr. Crew, uh, where would you like to work on him? Well, I thought home, when it's damp and mouldy. We have those wooden sleepers and a length of rope. Are you thinking biblically, Mr. Crew? Well, why not, Mr. Vandermar? It's been a while. Oh, oh Hunter! How you doing? Oh my goodness, I don't think you've moved a muscle. I don't... Well, there's a lot of muscles to count, so I don't know. <laughs> Listen, don't be rude to my goddy Bart. You what? God, oh God. Hunter. Ah, you're drunk. <laughs> you've been gone for eight hours. You know, it didn't seem that long. A lot happened. We saw Jessica. And an angel, and we got a little black piggy wiggy, and then we came back to you. Actually, I think we're both a bit smash. <laughs> <laughs> What's she doing down there? No, I can't carry both of you. <laughs> Listen, what? what? Can you walk? <sighs> yeah. <coughs> I think I might need a little lie down for. No, time. we need to find somewhere safe. Come on. Yeah, all right, all right. It's a loaf's worth of breadcrumbs. There's plenty to go round. Oi, you pigeons, you get back to Trafalgar Square. Go on, you get plenty from the tourists down there. Go on, get ya! Yeah, Rooks and Starlings over here. Oh, old Bailey's not forgotten you. Here you are. Go on, dig in. What? Here, hang on a moment. Me tent's buzzing. Hey, what do you know about the Marquis's silver box? Oh, blimey, it's glowing. Oh, look at this. 
that I know what it is. That's why I tried to give it back to him. Bloody Marky. What does it mean? It means he's in trouble. Deep trouble. Lady Door, Richard, we have to go. No, that's not the way. He's waiting there for us. Richard, you're having a nightmare. Richard, wake up! It's huge. It's huge. He's got broken spears and bits of weapons and it's hide and it's close and just run! Glass of water? <laughs> Bloody hell, I'm soaking wet! Wake up! Mm. Lady Door, come on, wake up! No, no, don't. I was having a lovely dream about father. No time. I was being chased by this huge animal. I... I think it was the same one as the angels talking. I don't know what you drank, but it must have been potent. Oh, no wonder Atlantis sank. If they all felt like this in the morning, it was probably a relief. Where where are we? The tunnel takes us to the embankment. Then which way to Blackfriars, my lady? <sighs> we'll go the river way. Is that the safest way? Safety is a concept it's better to forget at these levels of London below. Here there is life, but mostly there is death. Come, before we are followed. Is he coming round? Do you know, I'm not sure, Mr. Crew. <laughs> I think you're my broken. You must be more careful with your toys, Mr. Vandemar. Uh, uh, Hang on. It has been a very long time since we have crucified anybody, uh, Mr. Crew. Uh, In episode 3 of Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman, Richard was played by James McAvoy and Dorr by Natalie Dormer. The Marquis de Carabas was David Harewood, Hunter, Sophie Okonedo, Croup, Anthony Head and Vandemar by David Schofield. Islington was Benedict Cumberbatch and Old Bailey, Bernard Cribbins. Jessica was played by Romola Gary, Clarence by Abdul Salis and Stockton by John Glover. Other parts were played by Paul Checker and Stephen Marcus. Neverwhere Episode 3, The Angel Islington, was dramatized by Dirk Maggs and directed by Heather Lama. The sound design was by Dirk Maggs and the producer was Heather Lama. And Neverwhere continues at the same time tomorrow here in the seventh dimension currently still in the seventh dimension with me is dirk mags yes would you unlock the door please (laughs) you're staying here i want you to tell me what drew you to neverwhere in the first place i think really it's the worlds that neil gaiman creates and it's not just the worlds he creates it's the characters he creates and it's very interesting because he was saying the other day when we were chatting that uh, Lenny Henry had had the idea of doing something with him. This was a television series in the 90s. Uh, and Lenny Henry said to do something about the homeless people and Neil thought about it and said, well, I can't make it look attractive being homeless. I've got to make this look like a hard, harsh, cruel world that you go into and you survive if you're lucky. And I think that's really what we heard at the end of this episode fini- that finished tonight where the Marquis has been caught by the villainous Krupp and Vandemar. And just by saying the 
the villainous Crouppen Vandermark. <laughs> That's Neil's characters immediately. There's this ghastly kind of uh, Laurel and Hardy from Hell characters that they are, yeah. uh, played brilliantly by Tony Head and uh, David Schofield. And, and that's it's that wonderful sort of black humour with um, epic uh, epic scenes. And, and it is this sort of comic book sensibility that, you know, Neil started, a lot of his work was uh, reinventing Sandman for DC Comics. And it's bringing that whole genre into novel form. And, and that's what I've tried to do with creating the world of Neverwhere in, in sound, is to make it as rich and dark and interesting and funny uh, uh, as it is in the books, this is the end of that episode. Isn't the funniest ending we've got, but well, no. uh, but you know there is there's there's fun on the way. Thanks, Tag, and <laughs> you'll be back with us tomorrow, won't you? Looking forward to it. Can you let me out now? <laughs> BBC Radio Four Extra, the Seventh Dimension. Time now for the second part of Brian Aldiss's Hot House. It is the far flung future and a colossal banyan tree covers much of the earth. In its boughs, the last remnants of humanity are fighting for survival, terrorised by carnivorous plants and grotesque insect life. The earth has stopped rotating and is attached to the moon with cobwebs spun by enormous spider-like plants. As is the custom of the tiny descendants of the human race, the adults of the tribe have been sealed in coffin pods and given up to the spider-like traversers, who span the gap between the earth and moon. The young of the tribe, led by Toy, must now find a way back down the banyan plant to Earth. Throughout most of the forest, silence ruled. Not that the silence signified lack of life. Life was everywhere, life on a formidable scale. But the increased solar radiation that had brought the extinction of most of the animal kingdom had spelt the triumph of plant life. Everywhere, in a thousand forms and guises, the plants ruled. On the topmost branches of the forest perched a sucker bird. Being of vegetable origin, it had little intelligence and only a rudimentary nervous system. Toy, the leader of the group, knotted her fibre rope, leant forward and slipped the loose end around the suckerbird's white hose tongue. "'Kill it!' Toy cried. "'Now jump quick, my children!' The humans hurled themselves onto the feathery leafage of the suckerbird's back, stabbing furiously. The suckerbird swung upwards into the blinding sky, pulling Toy's frail noose free. Toy was shouting to the group, "'Slay the bird!' she called at them, rising on her knees, waving her sword. "'Slay it fast! Chop it to bits! Kill it, or we shall never get back to the jungle!' The children slashed away together, carving a great hole through the tough rind of the bird, kicking away chunks of it. As the chunks fell, they were snapped up by predators before hitting the forest. For a long time, the sucker bird flew on unperturbed. The young humans tired before it did. Then, finally, it weakened. Its wings faltered, and it began to sink down. "'Toy! Toy! Look what we are coming to!' Drift cried. Though none of the young humans had seen the sea before, intuition told them that they were being carried towards grave dangers. A stretch of coast rose up to meet them, and here was waged the most savage of all battles for survival.' where the things of the land met the things of the ocean. 
Now the wounded sucker bird dropped more rapidly, until the humans could hear the 